0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, ...or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children.
1: Testing, testing, testing... Hmm... Sounds good to me. Okay, let's do this. Sean Russo speaking. It's my first time on the new servers, and I think I'm only the third guy to use them. Seems weird. Is that weird? whatever. Control sends me this text message. In the town of Harristown, Burlington County, New Jersey, ghost sightings in the area are on the rise. Remote viewers have reported that a freestanding door is acting as a focal point for the paranormal activity. Your mission is to investigate the door and figure out its purpose as well as handle any ghost-related disturbances that may have arisen as a result of its existence. If this is impossible, return and give a full report. Burlington County is right in the heart of the Jersey Pine Barrens, which is a place I am... well, I've been here before. When people think of New Jersey, they think of our terrible crime-ridden cities or maybe our trashy Jersey Shore-style boardwalks. Occasionally, some more well-read folks who have heard our state nickname think of farmland, but that isn't the half of it. Right smack in the middle of the state is the New Jersey Pine Barrens. It's this huge, weird forest of pine trees, and when I say huge, I mean it. Look, it still fits in New Jersey, but we really are talking over 2,500 square miles of forest. And when I say strange, well, I mean that too. Ever heard of the Jersey Devil? That one comes straight from the Pine Barrens. The locals will tell you about the people hidden so deeply in the woods that most folks don't think they exist. Until they're two hours lost in the back roads with a hunchbacked family chopping down wood for their fireplace, leveling a shotgun at the car. It's that type of place. Harristown is an abandoned town that used to center around an iron factory. There are other towns kind of like it in the area, but most of them turn to these Williamsburg-style tourist traps. Not Harristown! It's still just sitting there, empty and abandoned. Also, weird is the lack of data on it. Apparently, it was a thing all the way into the 1860s until it wasn't, and that's that. No articles on it, no historical societies looking into it. There was a black hole where Harristown should have sat in the historical record. I had to get creative, so looked into the records of the town's local church. As it so happened, it actually survived. It moved to a neighboring town with a small but significant chunk of its parish intact, instead of folding up shop. And St. James and John Lutheran Church still exists to this day. This meant that I was able to get a hold of parish records, baptisms, deaths, yearly enrollment, and I spotted something extraordinary. None of the family lines continued through their firstborn sons. Every family line from Harris Town or at least that I could find from St. James and John. Managed through daughters or the second sons. What did this mean? Did the firstborns die? Was it limited to just this church? The largest church in Harristown. I had to investigate and find out for myself. Something I hope I'm still being paid for. Well, it was time for a visit. I was forced to use old and out of date maps as Harristown couldn't be found on standard modern maps of the area. Hoping for GPS reception that deep in the middle of the forest was a laughable dream. I left at noon and after a couple of hours in the barrens, I felt as if I'd completely left modern civilization behind me. The atmosphere of the Pine Barrens can be rightly called. oppressive. The trees are so thick surrounding you, the sun can only peek through at intervals, and sometimes there's nothing man-made for miles but the road in front of you. Harris Town is smack in the middle of it and near no other inhabited area. As I sneaked through the forest, the quality of the road I was driving on became progressively worse, eventually devolving into barely more than a dirt pathway wide enough to fit my mercifully small car. The atmosphere was surreal, almost dreamlike. Nothing about the Pine Barrens feels real. This is a place that should not exist in the modern world, especially not in the center of New Jersey. Yet here I was, and not for the first time. The longer I stayed, the more unreal it became. The forest shapes merged together, and the birds flew so slowly that my car was passing them. After I went past an abandoned mill, I turned off the radio. Sometimes a man likes a little noise on the empty roads with the CD player on the fritz. It's just the static started to make sense. If you know what to look for, the barons are far from empty. Most people have no way to see past the veil, the name we give to that force that hides the spiritual reality surrounding us in the mortal coil. Some rare few in the living world have that ability, though normally limited, to pierce through and see beyond, getting a glimpse of the chaos and glory constantly surrounding us. And then there's me. I have heard this ability called the Gift of Elisha. To me, there is no veil. The angels and demons at war for our souls fight in plain view. I don't wear sunglasses to try to look cool. And not just heaven and hell, the monsters and magic and all those crazy, scary things that we were all told weren't real? You were lied to. It's all real. I know. I see it. And the Pine Barrens becomes even stranger with the gift. Beasts that some have called devils hide in the shadows, waiting for their chances to pounce. It's haunted under every tree and down every river through the decades and centuries with the ghosts of American Indians, revolutionary colonists, and even the occasional modern hiker. They appear as wisps. They're sad reminders of the lives they used to lead, unable to live them again and unable to move on. As the day got longer, I considered what I was getting into. Control doesn't send people on wild goose chases. The closer it came to night, the more dangerous it would become. The Pine Barrens are part of my territory, New Jersey to Pennsylvania. I just expected more information. What's so crazy about this door? Well, as old Tom once told me, be careful what you ask, because you might get the answers. By the time I found Harris Town, it was night. Isn't it always in stories like this? And I was thankful I brought extra gas with me for my beat-up Hyundai. The first issue is that Harristown is the most populated ghost town I'd ever seen. This might sound like a joke, but it isn't. You probably expected this at this point if you were paying attention, but Harristown was not abandoned by everyone. Just the living. That's right, it was a real live... dead... ghost town. Every ghost in the town was male, and all of them seemed to range from the late teens to early twenties. Every single one. A firstborn son. Most of the time, I'm not afraid of ghosts. Really, there are only three major types. You have the ghosts of the damned. These are souls who have managed to claw their way out of hell, back to the earth, to find that's no less of a hell to them than the underworld they believe they escaped. These creatures are dangerous and their powers vary wildly. Luckily, they are also extremely rare. You have the ghosts of the blessed or the saved, whatever term you like to use. These spirits come as visitors from heaven, generally to give comfort to loved ones or to give help to those who pray. If anything, these are rarer than ghosts of the damned and don't stay very long. After all, they tend to have better places to be. But the third type of ghost is very common, there's a fair bit of variety here. These are the trapped ghosts, spirits who for some reason or another can't make it beyond. Some of them are trapped by some sort of evil force preventing them from moving on. Some have unfinished business here on Earth and can't bring themselves to accept their fates. The real sad ones don't realize they died and can't read the signs. Most of the times, these sorts of ghosts only have a limited effect on the world, nebulous and fleeting. It's their emotional attachments and their will that allows them to affect their chosen connections to mortal life. So for the new guys in the back, there's your ghostly crash course. It was obvious the ghosts of Harris Town were type 3, trapped. Saved ghosts never stuck around this long, and damned ghosts always caused a lot more damage to their surroundings. Hatred is a powerful motivator. These ghosts didn't seem to be affecting anything physically, and likely they wouldn't change their patterns. I parked my car at the edge of the town decided to approach one of the ghosts. To understand this decision, you need to understand a few things. First, the gift of Elisha. I hadn't forgotten that I was looking for some sort of door, and it was clear, and again clearer now that I saw it with my own eyes, that the door was in the center of the town. And it was very, very powerful magic. With something like this, once you get close enough, it starts to pull you. You just get this feeling that you have to walk in a certain direction. It's calling you. It's subtle, your mind won't warn you about it, and if I didn't immediately recognize what the feeling felt like, I might have been taken in. The more powerful the magic, the more it affects the material world. The closer I got, the greater a chance that my car wouldn't work. You can't do this job without a ready escape plan. Old Tom practically beat that one into me. The flashlight was guaranteed to fail, so I carried a small oil lantern with me out of the car. The full moon transformed the town from a series of empty buildings to an eerie ghost town. Strands of spiritual webbing, the roots the ghosts took, reached from door to door like a spider's web. Faces brushed past without looking left or right. I heard the cry of a devil. made me pity the miserable creature, but in no way did I want to meet it. I focused on my mission. Along with the oil lamp, I carried an iron nail with me for your standard dealings with fairies and a crucifix blessed by a priest, useful against monsters that take their power straight from the underworld. And, of course, I carried a shotgun, because who knows what animals, or worse, might be around. And what if this was some crazy mess with cultists? Besides, buckshots and the knees can hobble even the most immortal monster long enough for me to escape. And, of course, I wore the secret weapon. Well, it wasn't a lot, but I figured I might as well swing for the fences now and walked up to a ghost. The ghosts really were a sorry sight. The buildings around them listed on shaky foundations, the machinery they worked with, wrecked and useless if it was there at all. But the ghosts continued their attempts to use them, what I can only really describe as a ghastly pantomime of life. This particular ghost, not far from where I was, stood inside of what I was pretty sure was the town's old ironworks. Though there was no fire to stoke, and the building was a crumbling mess, with the roof completely collapsed and see-through, he shoveled away, sweating, just as if the coal was really in front of him and iron melted in the furnace. His clothing was practical for the work, but definitely struck me as something out of the 1800s. I carefully stepped around the rubble to meet the ghost of a young man, a bearded fellow who appeared to be in his early to mid-twenties. Evening, sir. The ghost did not look up from his... Work and did not acknowledge me. As I waited, I felt my own spirit sink, but pressed onward. Do you have time to answer a few questions? Just a quick second, then you can get back to work. I passed my hand through the head. It felt cold. If it weren't for my eyes and the dread in my soul, I would chalk it up to a hallucination. Shadow man with details. The spirit didn't as much as blink, and I left him to his work. I wouldn't find much else with the town. The center boulevard, the name rusted from the wall signs, led me to a fountain at the middle of the town square. The ghostly web connecting the ghosts together in their undeathly habits thickened. Watching the ghosts move through it reminded me of camera overexposure. If I blinked, the afterimage of a man remained before passing away. The door was in the center of the town. I couldn't see it from where I was, but at this distance, a source of magic, really something like spiritual energy, this powerful, was easy to find. Especially with the gift of Elisha. To describe the door properly, let me just say it was a door. You know, there was a brown wooden frame, and in that frame was a door. A brown wooden door, with a brass door knob with no design embossed on it. And it sat in the middle of town, slightly ajar. It was like someone had just walked in. I could see the interior, just a glimpse, and it did not lead further into Harris Town at all. I approached cautiously. The desire to approach it, the urge to swing it wide, was starting to overwhelm even me, and I'd prepared for this. I was starting to understand why the door was so dangerous. Opening it was like a hunger now, gnawing at the back of my brain, but I kept my wits. I had dealt with addiction in the past. It promised all the same pleasures, but it never told me what it would cost me. I reached my hand out slowly. Cautiously. Ah, Sean. You made it after all. That voice. The voice so layered in enchantment that you can't forget it because it won't let you. Morgana. A witch from my past and from Britain's. A transplant from Arthurian legend somehow stuck in the center of New Jersey and also the center of my main investigation. We've met. I looked around me and jumped. Next to me was the bearded fellow I had tried to speak to earlier. He had a vague, unfocused look in his eyes and his jaw hung slack. But his voice was the voice of a seductive young woman. I put an edge to my voice. Never let the enemy know your crap in your pants. What? You doubted I'd find my way here? (laughs) Old Tom would be proud. Oh, I never doubted it. Not with juicy bait like this. You Pinkertons do love your ghost stories, don't you? Pinkertons, huh? You mean any old Pinkerton would do? Now I'm hurt, Morgana. I'm wounded. Oh, don't worry, Sean. It had to be you. While the witch talked with me, I frantically put the puzzle pieces together in my head. These ghosts. You killed them. All young men in the prime of their lives, and you. And it was then I spotted her, something like her. It danced on the ghost webs, yet projected itself right into my eyes. You see, the shadow from my lantern was moving of its own accord. I want to know what you figured out, Sean. In the old legends, you trap Merlin in a tree, but he was an old man, and Nimue took credit for it. But not a normal old man, he aged backwards. To steal his life force and power, you had to wait until he was old. But most of the time, to continue drawing power, it's young men you need. And you were in New Jersey back in the 1800s, so maybe it was right after you arrived. Age came knocking for you, too. So you latched on to the firstborn sons of this small town with a dying iron mill. Everyone in the town left, but nobody mentioned the lost sons. That's a hell of a thing. Indeed, it is. Do you understand the meaning of the door, though, Sean? I didn't answer her. She's toying with me. The door leads to my bedchamber, Sean Rousseau. It was through that door I led the men whose life I stole. Really, you should be thanking me. I've returned them to the life they knew. Think of it as an exchange. You have something of mine. I clenched my fist. The ring on my left hand bit into my finger. I don't know what you're talking about, Morgana. We had an encounter once. Nothing more. I'd never steal something of yours. The ghost started shaking and convulsing in front of me in anger. The shadow danced madly in the corner of my eyes. Liar! Russo! You speak as if you have the gift of Elisha. You talk of your expertise in finding monsters and ghosts and in magic and religion. But I know the truth, Sean Russo. Unclench your fist and give me back my ring. She knew all right. I kept my fist clenched. I'm a married man, Morgana, that's why I wear a ring. Married! You were married. Your wife abandoned you, yet you have the audacity to claim you wear the ring, honoring your vow. She was right, and it still hurt. No such thing as married past tense as long as we're both alive. At least that's what my priest would say. Priest! You! The audacity of you! You wear the Ring of Dispel, the ring that breaks enchantments and pierces the veil. The ring is mine, Russo. It was true. The gift of Elisha. Well, it's a gift of the ring. If I'm being honest, without that ring, I couldn't see a werewolf if it danced naked in front of me on the full moon. At least not until it decided that a Sean Russo steak dinner was just what it wanted. Intent is big in the supernatural world. And yet, it's my ring now, right? So the gift is mine. It's not like I take the thing off anymore. The ghost lunged toward my hand, but I was ready. I unclenched my fist to reveal a small faux gold crucifix. Her hand swiped at me like a claw, but at the sight of the crucifix, it stopped dead in its tracks as if frozen. With the ghostly distortion over the image of the dead man, it looked like a poorly maintained VCR tape paused a bad time. I held it high. Yeah, that's right, the audacity of me. I'm a paranormal Pinkerton detective now, remember? I make use of all the tools available to me. And if that means invoking the name of the Christ to hold back a witch, I'll do it. And this ring wasn't yours. It belonged to Lancelot. You could feel the aura of malice emanating from the ghost in the shadow, but Morgana's voice was calm. Lancelot lost that ring centuries ago. It belongs to me, Sean Russo. But you know, it is a shame. If only you weren't wearing it, I could appear to you as I did to the people of this town. And you would walk through that door with me willingly. Why not try it? Want to see? For just a moment, I saw the ghostly young man transform into a beautiful, pale-skinned, raven-haired woman and I understood what tempted those young men, but I knew the game too well by now to bite, and the moment passed in the flicker. No thanks. Like I said, my priest would say I was married anyway. I think it's time I left. I knew I was right, but something about this was just wrong. The release of these ghosts was an attempt by Morgana to lure me here, yes, but this door still existed. She never got caught for enchanting the town. Was I just going to leave things like this? Not likely. Morgana was responding to me, but I kept my crucifix held high and ignored her as I examined the door. I thought of the ring and its power. To break enchantments. With a sudden yell, I heaved my fist back and punched the frame around the door, making sure to hit it directly with the ring of dispel. With a mighty crack that echoed through the abandoned town, the frame collapsed. The door fell forward, a harmless piece of wood. Morgana gave a scream of rage. Around town, the ghosts had started to glow. Pulses broke through the webbing that marked their haunted footsteps. All of them looked down, apparently confused about where they were and what they were doing, until one by one, each of them blinked out, Morgana's enchantment broken. It was like flicking a light switch. The young man serving as Morgana's host went last, but he went too. I felt the ground begin to shake, though she now lacked a host. Morgana's scream of rage became louder, and a vine burst through the sandy earth in front of me, just barely missing, wrapping around my leg. I didn't wait. I ran, passing through the ruins of old buildings wherever possible to avoid the mad rush of vines and branches bursting out of the earth. I dove through my open window into my car. The vines entangled the wheels and engine, but the key turned and the engine roared to life at the third try. I am not ashamed to say that I took my chance and hightailed it out of Harrisville as quickly as I possibly could. Still, despite the sound of the motor and my growing distance, I could hear Morgana scream. This is not over, Sean Russo. I will get back my ring and I will get my revenge. Your life from this day forward is cursed by the witch Morgana Le Fay. I felt something wash over me. Without stopping my mad rush, I put the crucifix in my mouth. I needed both hands on the wheel. She was right. It wasn't over. Maybe I was dumb to put it down to a single encounter. I should have asked the real question. What was an Arthurian-era witch most famous as the main antagonist of LaMorta Arthur doing in central New Jersey? I didn't know, but I was, after all, a detective. Paranormal detective. I've provided a piece of the door frame that I managed to snatch up. I don't know if any of the magic eggheads can pick up anything on it. Let me know, okay? There isn't anything else left, I'm afraid, but you'll find that ghost sightings in the town will drop precipitously. Sean Russo, signing off. For now.
0: Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Anthony Marquetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on SuperversiveSF.com. And wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkertons Ghosts or email us at Pinkertons Ghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.